plan is for every one of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. What Mr. Terry said before he prayed just lined up perfectly for this next song. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing Amazing Love.
gracious and heavenly Father, God, Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your incredible love, God, your love that goes past our understanding, Lord. God, I just pray um, again for our youth and for this baseball team, God, and that um, they'll just realize the awesome position of leadership they've been given um, through their talents and abilities and athleticism, God, to, to do what they do to honor and serve you, Lord. God, it's a powerful pedestal that you've given them. And Lord, I just thank you so much for um, for them just being here this morning, God. I know that's awesome. Um, after a late night last night, God, and we just pray for the rest of their season, Lord, that um, you would carry them to a championship to honor and glorify you, God. Lord, as um, Preacher Neil comes, I just pray that you open our hearts and clear our minds, God. And Lord, um, just be with us as he speaks to us this morning, Lord. May it find a lodging place in our hearts. We love you and praise you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, if uh, first through third and three through kindergarten would go with the children's leaders at this time. Hey, the rest of us turn to Hosea chapter 6. It's the same passage we read from last week, and you didn't know this, but I was in the midst of a seven-point sermon, <laughs> and I did not get finished. Now, every sermon ought to have one point, right? Well, from Hosea 6, I was looking at seven principles in pursuing God, and you're not keeping up, but I am. We covered the first four. Chuck Harper's with me. We covered the first four last week, and this morning, I'm going to give you two, five and six, and so we listed them in your bulletins. If you didn't get a bulletin, I'm going to do a good bit of review, but here's my point. On Easter Sunday, we celebrated the fact that Christ rose from the dead. And so I want us to ask the question, so what? So, so what? If, if, if Jesus really did die on the cross for us and really did rise from the dead, how does that apply to our lives and, and where we live on a regular basis? What does that mean? What does it matter? So I'm going to preach a few sermons from different places in the Bible that emphasize what I think is what we need to learn from the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Bryson asked me last week, he said, uh, this past week, he's downloading the audio for the sermons, so you, can, so you can listen online, right? He said, what's the title of your sermon series? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> so I came up with one. Thank you, Bryson, for asking the question. Here, here's the sermon series title, Because He Lives. Okay? Because he lives. Now, what we're talking about now is that because Christ lives, you and I, therefore, can pursue God and find God. Because we know that God loves us. We know that he exists. We know that he cares. We know that he's real. We know that he's alive. Why? Because he lives. Now, the whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible is instructing us in the fact that you and I were created to know God, to love God, to worship God. But we taught last week, first, that there's a problem. That you and I, by nature, don't want to find God. We're rebellious. We're independent. We're autonomous. We don't want God over our lives by nature. And so we can't find God for the same reason that the thief can't find the police. Why can't the thief find the police? He's not looking, right? And so God has done something about this. And then we talked about last week, the second point was that the process, that 
that everything in life exists so that you and I will come to know him and to find him. So oftentimes in your life you'll face detours and roundabouts and successes and failures. But all the roads and all the signs and all the stops and detours are really designed to lead you and I to God. That we would search for him and that we would find him. Then we, the third point was the presence of God. Just the fact that he's here. <laughs> and, he, and, and to those who are searching, they, they will find him. That, you know, on, on that resurrection morning... They, they, they didn't recognize him at first, but then as God began to open their eyes and their hearts, they saw, really interacted with, even ate with, the risen Christ. So he talked about the problem, and then the process, and then the presence, and then, and this was the best point of all, we talked about the passion. That we love him, and we search for him, and we want to know him. Because he has come down for us in the person of Christ. So let me read the text again. Same place we were last week, uh, Hosea chapter 5, 15. We've got it on the screen. And a lot of the, that I just said comes from the text that, that we're going to read. And then we're going to look at a promise that inspires you and I to pursue God. And we're going to talk practically ab about ways we can do that. God says through, prophet, through the prophet Hosea, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. So that gives us a clue as to one of the reasons difficult times come, so that we will turn to God and, and seek him. Then in chapter 6, verse 1, this is what Hosea says. He says, it's an invitation. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. Look at this. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. There was our clue right there that Hosea was looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus to give us proof that God will revive us and raise us. How do we know? we got real historical evidence in the resurrection of Christ. And Hosea talks about this hundreds of years in advance. And the whole purpose is so that we may live before him. But here's our application right here in verse 3. So let us know. Then he, it's almost like he changes his mind. He doesn't just want to say let us know. Look at what he says. He says, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like spring rain watering the earth. Some of that's due this afternoon, right? What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I've hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I, Here it is. I delight in loyalty or the knowledge of God, love for God, faith, rather than sacrifice. Not things that you do, but yourself. And in the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, knowing Him, rather than burnt offerings. Father... Thank you for your word, because in your word, you allow us to know you. 
Your word is, is your thoughts, your activity. And I pray that as I preach it and as we listen, that we will have reverence for this word, that we will take it as coming directly from you personally to us. The Bible is a love letter from home. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would receive this message this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Hosea's command is seek the Lord, pursue him, look for him. And here's the thing, God has not made himself hard to find. Paul said these things weren't done in a corner. He's written who he is in creation. He's written who he is in who we are. We were created in his image. He's, he's, he's shown us who he is, his heart, through the cross and through the resurrection. So a lot of it has to do with our outlook. One of Ronald Reagan's favorite stories involved, and he told this often. I'm going to try to retell it. I'm no, I'm no Ronald Reagan. Um, two boys, twins, born to a family. One of the sons was a pessimist. I mean, nothing ever went right. The other son was a, was a complete optimist. Nothing could ever go wrong. And so she went to the psychologist. She said, explain this to me. My my two boys, one's always negative, one's always positive. The psychologist says, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll run a couple of tests. We'll draw out of them kind of what's going on inside of them. So the psychologist put the first boy, the pessimist, in a room full of toys and locked him up in there. After about 30 minutes, he's banging on the door. Let me out, let me out. And they open the door, let him out. He says, I hate it in there. They said, there's all these these toys in there that are appropriate for you. He says, I hate it. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to break the toys. So then they get ready to run the second test on the optimist. And they put the optimist in a room of horse manure. Pardon the visual. And they look in there and they observe, and this little boy's just digging, and he's working, and he's searching. And they immediately they open the door and say, what are you doing? You know, we thought this would get you down. He says, with this much horse manure in here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you don't hear me talk about horse manure much. But I want to illustrate a point. And we did it last week with the Russians and not finding God out in space. As C.S. Lewis said, it all depends on the heart with which you are searching, okay? It all depends on your outlook. And so what you and I have got to do is face the problem that you and I by nature don't want God, but we desperately need God because God has created all of us with, with a big question mark in our soul. Why are we here? What are we doing? Do we matter? Are we loved? God's created you and I. He's created, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God put eternity in our hearts. He said eternity in our hearts because we were created for Him. So you and I were created to know God and search for Him. And help, but because we're sinners, because we sin, we're sinners, like Hosea described, we have guilt, we have alienation, we wander. God continues to love us and pursue us. So let me get to point number five, which, which is the promise. Now, here's the promise. Hosea is saying that, that God's 
a relationship with God is, is not only possible, but it is certain if you will press on to know Him. That's in verse 3. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. What's the dawn? The dawn is the sun coming up in the morning, right? How certain is it that the sun comes up in the morning? <laughs> well, you can take that to the bank, right? And if the sun doesn't come up in the morning, <laughs> then we sure better be right with God because something else has happened. But Hosea is saying, let's press on another Lord. Let's be inspired to put effort into searching for him because it's a guarantee that if we search for him, we will find him. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 3. He will come to us like the rain. It may not be raining now. But we know that rain, like the sun in the morning, is necessary. It's good. It's certain. Without it, the world is not sustained. So what Hosea is saying to us is these things are certain. They're necessary. They're good. And they're repeated often. The sun comes up and it often rains. He's saying, God has made a promise to you that if you press on to know him, you will find him. I love what he says in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Recognizing my personal need and his amazing grace, I should search for him and look for him knowing that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And he says it in his word. He's proved it by sacrificing his son on the cross for us. And so God has promised us not only that we will find him, but that we will know him and belong to him. Look at what it says later in Jeremiah 31, 34. I love this. They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them, to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It's almost as if God has said, I guarantee you, based on the blood of Jesus, that if you search for me with all your heart, you will not only find me, but I will forgive you and you will belong to me. And that is the relationship that you and I have searched for our entire lives, ultimately is with God and his son Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. So God has made a promise that you'll belong, that you'll be included. And he has sent this out from the least of us to the greatest of us. Now, the Trojan baseball team here to my right ran a camp yesterday for kids. Some of the kids were really small. I mean, there had to be some five- and six-year-olds out there, and then some of the kids were a little bit older and a little more skilled. So Bennett, Ace's little brother, went to the camp yesterday, and I was very impressed, guys, with the camp and your interaction with the kids and not just your baseball skills, but just how you dealt with all of our children. They had bunning stations. They had throwing stations. They had hitting stations. They took them in, you know, through tennis balls, thank goodness, so that they don't break their face when they land on them. I asked Bennett after the camp, I said, what was your favorite part of camp today? You know what his answer was? He said, Asa was there. <laughs> Belonging, relationship, love, brotherhood. Ben has already got it. 
What means more than anything else is that you've got somebody there that you know and that you love, you love and they, they, they love you unconditionally and it's not about your performance. The, the best thing in life is being part of, and Terry just said, God's team, God's family, God's equation, God's community, God's church. And the great thing is that the good news is that God has promised that to all of us who will seek him. So then we ought to get a clue and start seeking him, right? So I, I talked about the promise. Let's talk about the pursuit. Knowing my need and knowing his passion and knowing his promises and everything that we've talked about before, this is what we ought to do. <laughs> Hosea says it. Let's know him. In fact, let's press on to know him. Now, the difference in know him and press on to know him, to me, is, is a matter of effort. He doesn't just say know him. He says press on to know him. So this is something that I've got to do continually. I've got to do it faithfully. I've got to do it diligently. I've got to do it singularly. It's the main thing. I've got to do it hopefully, knowing that he's promised to, to come through and to be there. I've got to do it passionately. Not inconsistently, not doubting, not being sluggish or apathetic or complacent or negative. But having my soul and my heart, as the, as the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Having tasted of him and just experienced a bit of his goodness, that increases your appetite to passionately search for him. At age 47, I find it unbelievable that there was a time in my life when I did not like coffee. A group of seniors at my previous church started drinking coffee around me. Once a month, we'd have the young at hearts, and they'd make a pot of coffee. I was in my early 20s. Couldn't stand coffee. They said, put a little sugar in there. Put some milk in there. And then I started tasting it. Let me just say that the one thing that I'll go get in the morning before we all get started that we don't have, I go to the grocery store and I get some coffee. Something that begins as an appetite can increase and grow over time, and that's what happens with God. You, you begin to experience His goodness. You hear His word. You experience His love, and, and, and then it increases you, you, and you start pressing on to know Him the assurance that, and the love inspires us to want to grow to know him in greater ways, discovering how beautiful and how good and how faithful and how holy he is. You know what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So my pursuit of God is to be the top priority in my life. I've heard, one, I've heard preachers describe it like this. It's like a bicycle wheel. You've you got this hub, right? And then you've got spokes coming out of the center. Your relationship with God is that hub of life. If you're right with Him, then all the other things in that wheel, the spokes will be rightly related to each other. I, I like to think of it like buttoning that top button on your shirt. You get that one right, all the other ones will flow and follow after. If I get that, if I get that top one off... All the rest of them are going to be off as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Press on to know him. That's what Bryson read from Philippians chapter 3. Paul, after meeting Christ, said, I consider everything else as dung, garbage, horse manure. 
Literally, that's what it meant. As, as in contrast to knowing Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Well, what happened to Paul? <laughs> he met Christ on the road to Damascus. The risen Christ, and it transformed his life. And he began to pursue the God who had pursued and found him. So let me just give us a few practical application points here on how we can seek him. Okay? So hearing the promise of our belonging to him and, and that he is there and that whoever comes to him he will know why he's cast out, that inspires our effort, our hunger to continue to grow to pursue God. Well, how do I do that, preacher? Well, there are some things that the Bible teaches that we should do regularly, daily, if we are to seek him and find him. And, and I've got a few. I'm just going to mention them in passing and say a few comments about them. These are things that I think the Bible tells us that we should do every day. You should take, Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, right? Deny yourself. You got to do that every day. Take up your cross. You got to do that every day and follow me. You got to do that every day. For how long? For the rest of your life. I don't know that I can do it the rest of my life. God's grace will sustain you. <laughs> don't worry about tomorrow. Do it today. But the coach says, give me 200 push-ups. He says, coach, I can't do 200 push-ups. He says, can you do one? Yeah, I can do one. Do one 200 times. <laughs> That's the life of discipleship. Now, I'm gonna, all these are going to start with S, and these aren't in your notes. So I'm just going to give them to you. The first thing. You want to know God? Start every day of your life off with Solitude. Solitude. Reorient yourself. Get your perspective right. Be still and know that He is God. Find you someplace alone at the kitchen table. Sit in your car for five minutes before you go into work or school. But you get in your mind that He is God and that you're not and you're created in His image before you ever start your day. We've got to reorient ourselves to why are we here? I follow CNN on some of my social media. One day this week popped up CNN's message for me first thing in the morning. Tributes to Barbara Bush pouring in. Passengers describe a harrowing flight. Cuba, pre Cuba prepares for a new leader. Start your day here. No. <laughs> Don't start your day there. Because you're not in a frame of mind at that point in the day to interpret and respond to what's coming our way, this steady stream of life and information. No. First, be still and know that He is God. Find some solitude. Reorient yourself again. Wake up and, hey, have a couple of cups of coffee. The second thing to remember is Scripture. God speaks to us through His Word, and if you want to know Him Know his word. Start small. You don't have to go to seminary. Open the Bible and read the Bible. Start in the Gospel of John. And as you hear John speaking to you, you hear God and Christ speaking to you. Take these things personally. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the, the mouth of God. As John says, we must allow the word of God to disturb us and to encourage us and to guide us in this relationship. How well would your relationships go if you never listened to the other person? Be still. 
Open the Bible, read it, take it in, hunger and thirst for it. Preach the gospel to yourself through that every day. And then serve. Service is the third one. Do something for someone else. Because as you read that Christ's wounds healed you, you desire to make a difference in somebody else's life, and you'll come to know God as you come to know the people around you that God has created and made. Matthew 25, Jesus said, If you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, what? You've done it unto me. You want to meet Christ along the road? Then do what the Good Samaritan did. Minister to someone. Bandage up someone's womb. Be an encouraging servant. Serve other people, and you'll meet Christ and God along the way. God is on that second mile. and You'll find him, and you'll meet him there. And that second mile is service to other people. You ought to have a list in your daily planner of the people you're going to call or encourage or minister to this particular week. Maybe the people you work with. Solitude, scripture, service, supplication, that's prayer. And in prayer, you go through acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I adore God, I confess my sin because I've always got something to confess. Confession should be a daily activity for the Christian because your entire journey is characterized by a spirit of repentance, a life of repentance. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's prayer. Going before God. When I was a student in high school, I told you this before, my youth leader says, I want you guys to pray for 10 minutes a day. I says, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes a day. New commitment. Got out my prayer journal, wrote down everything I could think of to pray for, closed my eyes, prayed through everything I could possibly think of, opened my eyes, Three minutes had gone by. <laughs> what am I going to do for the other seven minutes? But prayer is something that you grow in as you begin to not just set apart that time to pray, pray, but to have a running conversation with God all day long, to stay connected to Him all day long. Solitude, Scripture, service, supplication, support. <laughs> you need help in this. You're not the Lone Ranger. You know how I know that? Look at what Hosea said in chapter 6, verse 1. He doesn't say, come let me return to the Lord. What does he say? Come let us. Ah, this is a community project. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I need you and you need me. And we need one another to mold us and shape us and to help teach us about God. What would we do without other people to teach us about who he is? So support, you need fellowship. You need fellowship in all the things that you do as an individual. Praying together, studying together, reading together, doing what we do here on Sunday morning, singing together, serving together. We are a family. And greater love is no one than this, that he laid on his life for his what? Friends. This is friendship. This is a group project. I need your support. You need the support of the local church. Now the next S is sweat. <laughs> I had a teacher who called it elbow grease, sweat equity. I can give you scriptural uh, basis and background for the fact that physically, and I know a lot of us have different physical skills and talents and abilities, and health-wise, as we age, we can't do much of this as we used to could. But Paul said, I take my body, and I beat it, and I make it my slave, because I know that my body's connected to my soul. 
those things aren't, aren't separate. They're, they're in, in integrated together. So Paul says, I want to work. I want to physically do some things and get my body in motion as a way to discipline my life. So everything I read says you ought to walk, exercise, sweat, do something every day. Because as you do that, you'll begin to become aware that God has created you and your body. And this body is going to be resurrected one day. And it is to be loved and cared for. One of the most influential men in my life was a man named Rob Wilson from Franklin. Some of you know who Rob Wilson was. When I was a little boy, I sat with him at First Baptist Church in Franklin almost every Sunday. And he and his wife were very special to me and to my brother and to our family. He was an amazing person, one of my spiritual heroes. I visited him one time, and he did a couple of things that, to me, really stood out. He took me over to a little nook off of his living room, and he had what, what were, were called, and still are, I guess, Sunday Quarterlies. Now, Sunday Quarterly was a book put out by Baptist Press that had every Sunday school lesson for the year in that book. Every day, Mr. Rob would begin his day by taking that quarterly and going over a Sunday school lesson personally, before he started his day. And he walked me, I mean, I was in high school. He walked me through those and showed me those as if he were showing me gold. Then before I left, he took me out to his shed out back. And Mr. Rob, at this point, is probably in his mid to late 80s. He opened the barn door. He walked in there and Mr. Rob had a weight set. <laughs> I was completely shocked. He had a bar that he did pull-ups on. He had another bar that he did curls and he did presses. <laughs> he had it both going on. He had both the spiritual and the physical. And then something spoke to me and said, you know what, Mr. Rob Wilson, he's not, he's not trying to be Mr. Universe. He's just trying to be the best Rob Wilson he could be. And he's doing it spiritually and he's doing it physically. And God is using him greatly in his life. I watched him love his wife through Alzheimer's. Where do you get that kind of strength? I really believe that God speaks to us physically as we go and experience nature and all the things that there is to do. Then the last one, and I'll close with this, sleep. <laughs> I don't mean during the sermon, so wake up, people. Man, look at the bookends of your day. If you begin with God and you end with God I really believe that it's important for us to rest physically Jesus said abide in me rest in me one of the things that means is the treadmill of having to prove ourselves to God and other people that treadmill's unplugged and it's off because I don't have anything to prove to anybody because I'm accepted in Christ and that's all that matters his finished work I can rest in his finished work those who rest in the finished work of Christ can rest well at night. As someone said, providence is a soft pillow upon which to lay your head. So here's what I'm suggesting. As you lay your head down on your pillow every night, I want you to thank God for the day. I want you to examine your day. What did I do wrong and what could I have done better? And what do I want to improve on tomorrow? Someone said the, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. I'm not trying to create anxiety. I'm trying to create freedom. 
And as you go to sleep, you pray to him. And, and, and let me just close by, by going back to, to my childhood. One, years ago, I went to, to spend the night with a first cousin. And his mom took us back to his room and tucked us all into bed. And she tucked me into bed and she says, uh, Have you boys said your prayers? I said, No. She says, I want you to, to, to do this. I mean, this is one of my first, this is one of those early memories that are fuzzy, but it's there. She said, You pray this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It really is just that simple. But if you in your heart of hearts would say, Lord, here's my life. I want to live it for you. and I want to know you. What do I do? You know, my aunt was telling me really everything I needed to know as I began my life. You place it all in his hands. Your life, your soul, your all. And you know what he's promised? He'll meet you there. Because if God has not withheld his son from us, how shall he not with us freely give us everything that we need? Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your counsel and your wisdom. Both adversity and blessings have one ultimate intent, and that is that we would know you and more about you. How gracious you are, how holy you are, how beautiful you are, how faithful you are, how compassionate. We could go on and on. God, we would never exhaust the knowledge of who you are in your personality and in your being. But I take great comfort in knowing what Jesus said. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's truly all we need to know to be able to interpret and respond to everything that happens to us in life. That we would seek first God by seeking His Son, Jesus Christ. In the pages of Scripture and in the working in our hearts, to you be all glory and honor and praise. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing this hymn of invitation. This is straight from Scripture. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Do you have that relationship? You come forward as we sing.
be seated. Hey, if our ushers would come forward at this time, we'll take our offering. I want to take just a moment. I want to commend these young men for taking time to come to our worship service today and all of the other young people that are here. You young men are dear to my heart. Every day when I walk in my office, I see a baseball bat. My senior year, I was awarded that as the batting championship. Baseball has a special place in my heart, and so do all of you young men, even though I don't know you. Continue what you're doing today throughout life, and I promise you, you will be rewarded. I want to give you, our church family, a special invitation, Jackie Wayne and myself. We will be ordained as deacons tonight. And in honor of that service, our children and grandchildren have placed these flowers, which are down front. So we invite all of you to come to that service tonight and share with Jackie and I what the new journey that we're about to take in our Christian lives. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just have so many things to be thankful to you for. We just thank you for this church. We thank you for our family. We thank you for our youth. And all the people that's been lifted up to you today in prayer, we just ask that you look over, you guide, and protect them. Now, as we come to this part of our service, we know in our hearts that everything comes from you. And in order to continue work, we're to share with you what you have shared, what you have allowed us to have. And Father, we just ask that our hearts be open and our minds be clear, and that we now share a portion of that with you. Just ask in your precious name. Amen.
to stand for our benediction. Burel said it so much better than I could have uh, about the deacon ordination tonight at 6 o'clock. Thank you very much, Burel and Jackie Wayne, for your willingness to serve. Hey, we're feeding the baseball team in the fellowship hall in just a few moments, so I want to thank those who work to make that meal possible. You guys just going over to the fellowship hall and <coughs> help yourselves. We'll be over there, some of us, uh, shortly. So, Catherine, will you come with us in a... We'll see you this evening.